It's awesome to be here today as the pastor of Bonacord and to have some of our Bonacord people here. We also have some of our young people that got bussed out today. Uh, there's a little crew of them, so we're grateful that they could come and join us as well and be here in Morinville. But uh, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I'll say the statement and see if you agree with me. But I feel like the world right now, more than ever, needs us to be present to our story. As believers, as Christians, as uh, individuals living out faith, I think the world more than ever needs us, the church, the bride of Christ, you and me, those of us who have made Jesus Lord of our life or said the prayer and invited God into our heart, uh, more than ever, the world needs us to be present to our story. It's inspiring when you see people living out their story and, and doing what God's called them to do and using their gifts. And I believe that, you know, as a church, it's really important for us to recognize that this is a moment in which I really feel like we need to find our bearings a little bit. And uh, find our bearings in the midst of a lot of prevailing stories that are taking place in our culture. Stories that are being told that uh, are really different than the hopeful story that we have. And you know, as you've heard me preach before, that's definitely a passion point of mine. And it seems to find its way into everything that I preach and share. But I really do believe it. I'm convinced that we live in a moment in time and space where it is a battle for story. And uh, there's, there's nothing better than when Christians and believers step out in faith into the story God has for them and live it out authentically, and, uh, and, and there's nothing more inspiring to the world. One of my favorite verses, uh, I say this a lot about a lot of verses, but this is one of many favorite verses from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork. Everyone say, I'm a masterpiece. That's actually what the word means. You're a masterpiece. That's the word, a masterpiece uh, in Christ to do, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God has actually prepared in advance for you to do. That's what the book of Ephesians says. In Christ, you're a masterpiece. Say, I'm a masterpiece. In Christ, you are a masterpiece. That he has created you to do the things that he's already prepared beforehand for you to walk in. And they're good things, good works, finding your story. Another aspect of that is this beautiful idea that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian today, say, I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. I love that notion that God is so good that he's made you a masterpiece to do wonderful things that he's prepared for you to do. Your story, he's calling you into a story. And not only that, the old is gone, you're completely brand new and made new in Christ Jesus. It's really good news. And the word there is katissus, which is kind of this notion of like, where you are building your life upon an old blueprint, like an old foundation, an old script, Jesus comes and he actually takes that away and he has a master blueprint for your life. That's actually what the word describes. And that in Christ, you actually have a brand new blueprint that he lays out and he says, come on guys, let's build the story together. Here's the blueprint. Here's the foundation for that. You finding who, who you are as a new creation. He brings this brand new narrative. The old script is gone. The way you used to do things is done, dusted. The old blueprint is ripped up and thrown away. Your past is over. How many of you know Jesus meant it when he said it? As far as the east is from the west, he's removed your transgressions from you. That's a pretty far distance. It's pretty, pretty much eternity. He's removed your transgressions. Jesus says, it is finished. And as much as he was in pain, that was a victorious scream on the cross. Finally, it's done, you're brand new. That's his victorious war cry that he cries from the cross. And that's good news for us today because that's the reality of God's amazing forgiveness. 
And then Jesus gives us new, uh, new creations, a job description, doesn't he, hey? He gives us some framework to live out this faith, to live out our life as new creations. And I think uh, I want to ask the, story, uh, the question today, what is the story and what's the task and how do we get about doing it? Because I think this is a moment in time and space for us as believers to really discover that, to refocus and, and, and discover our bearings again in a world in which the story is becoming so loud and noisy and strong. And we as believers have, I believe anyway, don't, I see if you agree with me, but we have the best hope-filled story there is. So let's find our bearings a bit. Can we do that? Let's be honest and have a look at some scriptures and see if we can't be encouraged to live out our story a little bit. And there's some things that we need to understand. There's two things that Jesus gives us. I believe they're just amazing pillars of our faith. And I think you know them. The first one is this thing called the Great Commission. You all know the Great Commission? If you've been around long enough, you know that before Jesus left, he commissions his disciples, his followers, those who have sold their life to follow him. And he says this, he says, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Therefore, meaning he's got the authority, just go in the anointing and that power and authority that he has and go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the end of ages. So he says this great commission, hey, church, new creations, you've discovered Jesus. Now go out and basically invite people into their story. Go and invite people into this redemptive, amazing story in which they can find their place in God's kingdom. It's an actually a beautiful invitation. That's why it's such good news, is that Jesus says, now that you've found your place with the authority that I have, you've found your story and your mission, your purpose. Now go and start bringing people into that. Help people find their place. In the Father's house, there is a room. Go and find people and bring them into their redemptive story. I think it's a great job description. The second thing Jesus gives us, another pillar, is the great commandment. This is what he says in Mark 12. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. He didn't say yeah, he said your. With all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these that you love God and love others. And he also gives a new commandment in John 30, 13, 34. I find it really interesting he says it's a new commandment. Kind of gives the implication that maybe it wasn't happening so good. Let's be honest. He says, actually, by the love you have for one another, that's how people are actually going to know. He says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Shock horror. It's that you love one another and the world's going to know. I find it interesting he has to qualify it as a new commandment. But he says, a new commandment, I give you love one another. As I loved you, you go and love one another. I think that's really cool. So Jesus gives these two pillars. You all understand this, right? Great commandment, the great commission, these two pillars that we love God, love others, and that we go and invite people into their redemptive story, making disciples. So he gives us this great task. But let's be honest. I don't know about you, but have you ever lost the plot? Does that translate here in Canada, folks? Do you know what I mean when I say have you lost the plot? I'm not talking having a moment where you yelled at your wife or husband or whatever, but I'm talking about when you've, you've been on that story, right, where you're loving Jesus, loving others, trying to bring people in, you know, make disciples, and then you just you sort of forgot about it. You, you know what I mean by that? Where you've, you've been on a story, but then you've lost the plot of the story, the meaning, the purpose, the idea, the intention of the story. Put your hand up if you've ever lost the plot. It show us your sweat pits, that's the way. <laughs> We've, we lose the plot sometimes. You know, I think, 
I think it can be a challenge, uh, actually, if I'm honest with you. Like, knowing that there's these two great pillars Jesus invites us into. And then he, but the challenge is that we lose the plot sometimes. And I wanted to ask myself why, because I, I was thinking that often there's other noise in life, isn't there? Have you found that in your life? There's a lot of noise, a lot of clanging, a lot of banging, a lot of screaming, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on in your soul. It produces anxiety and fear and worry. I think there are other stories being told that are so loud and so strong and people are passionate about telling. And it's so easy that we can get taken off our main story. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because there's something that Jesus tells us to do that kind of becomes the frame for these two pillars to exist. Because I think if we step back from those things and recognize this thing that Jesus says, if we can get this, if we can understand this one thing today, something that Jesus is showing me for sure, then maybe, just maybe, we can begin to find our story a little bit better and begin to live the life Jesus is actually saying, come and do, come and live, come and follow. So what is it? It's this verse that you've all heard before, and it's uh, at the beginning of the year, um, I like to pray and just sort of say, God, is there something you want to show me in particular? And this around Christmas time, I came back to this scripture, which I've known for a long time, but Jesus has been inviting me to drill a little deeper. You know when he does that? You know when you have a scripture, and all of a sudden he says, hey, would you just drill a little bit deeper there? Discover it a little bit more? Actually understand what I'm saying? This is what he says in Matthew 6, 31, 33. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? The Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need it all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Can we say that together as a church? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This has become my framing verse for my life, and we're going to unpack it a little bit today if that's okay. This is this moment in this text where Jesus has given this incredible discourse on how to pray, how to give to the needy, how to live life as a believer, basically, and basically showing how, what it looks like to love others and love God. And he comes to this point where we just read, and he's saying, listen, guys, in your life as a believer, there are going to be so many things they're going to come at you and are going to vie for your attention and are going to want to scream at you for your attention and focus. Did you know that? Because the natural question the disciples had was, following Jesus, but where's this going to happen? What's going to go on? This is what's happening in the world. Where's our food, clothing, all these things going to come from? And Jesus' response is this. There's going to be so many things that vie for your attention. That want, you, that want you to shift your focus off your main story onto those things. And there's all kinds of things that are doing that. Stopping you from loving others, making disciples, and doing what God's called you to do. I'm very aware of the Great Commission. I've heard it preached. I've heard it taught. I understand it. I know it's the Great Mission sort of emphasis. I understand it. I know that Jesus says, love others, love God. But if I'm honest with you, I, I can fail terribly at those things sometimes. Do you know Why? Because I lose the plot. I lose focus of the story God has for me. Because the story's allowed out there. Would you agree with me? There's so much stuff vying for your attention. We heard a word from Kathy this morning. Worry, worry, worry. Hurry, hurry, hurry. So many things that are, are redirecting us all the time. And this was a natural question for the disciples. And so Jesus responds and says, seek first the kingdom of God. 
Things want to come be your priority, fill your mind, your focus, your decisions, cause you anxiety, worry. It's tempting in this life to lose focus. But for many of us, we don't might need to worry about our clothes and our food like the disciples did. Maybe you do. Maybe that is a real need for you. But for us, maybe it's your, your emotional needs, your physical needs, material needs, whatever it is, that the question becomes, where is this going to come from when I follow you, Jesus? But here is Jesus is saying, there's something else to be focused on. Don't focus on those things, my kingdom and its righteousness. Luke adds, instead of Matthew, Luke, the book of Luke adds, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Because he's not stingy, he's actually a really good father. He wants to give you the kingdom. So the question for me becomes, how do we live as though this was true? And I'm realizing that this isn't always easy to do. Can I be honest? It's actually really confronting and hard to desire God's kingdom first. I wish, I wish I could say it wasn't and I was like perfect at it. That all I did was seek God's kingdom and it was the first thing in my mind. But I'm finding as I'm drilling down and trying to wrestle with it, it's actually a bit challenging. Can I tell you what I've learned? I've learned that my story is actually a cross-shaped life. Did you know that? What the disciples were asking was a real question about following Jesus and living in another reality in which where is all my stuff going to come from? And Jesus invites them actually into a cross-shaped life about giving up control. Jesus in Matthew 16 says, He told the disciples, if anyone would actually come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Forever, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This has been the biggest challenge for me is recognizing why I find it so difficult to, des to des desire God's kingdom first. Is First and foremost is it means that I have to learn to give up control. That's actually really hard. Have you found that hard? Actually giving up control of your desires to God? And Jesus actually says, it's a cross-shaped life. That's what I find hard. Do you want to know more why I find that hard? Because it implies that I actually have to learn as a believer to die to some of my own desires. It actually implies that I have to die to my desires, lordship over my own life, and begin to move into full trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. The kind of trust means trusting in His timing, His provision, and His needs. And you want to know why that's so hard? Is because it is completely countercultural to the world's story, which I buy into sometimes. Because the world says, and this is something I would rather, minimize pain, maximize pleasure. If you can minimize pain and maximize pleasure, then you can avoid all the, the horrible, painful realities and maximize pleasure and fill your life with all the things that meet that need, you will be okay. To me, that's my opinion, that's what I see in the world. You might have other ideas. But I think the story is that is what's being told, and I want to buy that into my gospel sometimes. I want to invite that into my gospel narrative sometimes. But we're new creations created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's created us to do, which actually means each and every one of us have our own cross to bear. Did you know that? Sorry to be the bearer of bad news if you didn't know that. But you actually have your own story to live out. A story in which you carry your cross. And it doesn't always come easy. 
Because I could only just say names like Daniel in the Bible. It wasn't easy for him, was it, hey? He had a journey to take. Joseph, sitting in prison for a long time. But the fulfillment of that, we know the story. But it wasn't an easy, it was a cross to bear. The Apostle Paul, sitting in prison for years and years and years, he had a cross that he had to bear. The uniqueness of his story as he lived it out in faith didn't always look like maximizing, maximization of pleasure, did it? Even the Apostle Peter, after last week you heard uh, Pastor Peter share about the Apostle Peter, the very next question Peter has us to Jesus says, go feed my sheep. Jesus looks at him and says, you know, I'm going to tell you something, Peter. As you do that, as I invite you into your story, this is what it's going to look like. He actually tells him what it's going to look like. And you can read that. You're actually going to see that Jesus actually predicts Peter's death. It's a very difficult part of Scripture to look at. You know what Peter's response was? He looked at the Apostle John and said, what about him? What's going to happen to him then? And Jesus said, Peter, 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 don't you worry about him. For, that's not for you to know his story. You go and live out yours faithfully. You see, we want to jump into someone else's and, 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 and live their story. But the, the challenge, and this is what the gospel invites us into, is a cross-shaped life to carry your burden. The burden that you're invited to carry that I can't. Together we can share it. You know all that in relationship and fellowship. But there is a uniqueness in who you are called to be and the cross that you are called to bear. And it looks different than John. It looks different than Peter. It looks like Maddie Coppin. It looks like you carrying your cross. You know, for me and my wife, that's always looked different in different seasons, right? Carrying our cross, you know, for Ash and I, trying to seek the kingdom first has always been something we've hopefully tried to do as we've navigated life and said yes to different opportunities. And uh, I remember there was a time where, you know, sometimes living in the kingdom, I'm going to be honest with you, it looks like having little. Sometimes it looks like having a lot. Sometimes it looks like not having a lot of money. Sometimes it looks like you've got a bit of savings in your account. It's good. It looks different at different seasons, at different times. It looks different for different people. I remember living in South Africa with Ashley. We had finally moved there as we were serving God in a different way. And, um, you know, for many years we had been serving on, you know, sort of like a volunteer basis. And uh, we went to South Africa and we had to rent a house with literally zero dollars. It was hilarious. But just trying to live on that, that edge of like, oh God, we're totally trusting you for this. And I'll never forget meeting this guy who took us to this you know, really nice big house, and we had no money, literally, I'm not even kidding, zero. And we went there, and he was showing us around, thinking, oh, you beauty, I've got these internationals here renting my house. And uh, we came to the end of it, and he didn't even ask us about money, didn't give, ask us to give a bond, nothing. He just gave us the paperwork and signed it off and left, and we were like, right on, we got a house. And then every month, the rent came in. Every month, we had money for rent. Every month, we had money for gas. God just provided. And that was what it looked like in that season, Living on an edge where it just was like, God, we have literally no idea what this means. To be living in a foreign country, working and serving where people were breaking into your house. You know, we had electric fences around our home and not knowing where our rent was going to come from the next month. That's what it looked like for a season. I remember living in Jamaica and I shared this with the church the other week and we were living in a different level of faith when it came to our finances. And I remember there was one week where I was just so sick of eating vegetarian curry. I was like, man, I could smash a Snickers bar. Like, no worries. I was craving. I'm not even lying. We were sitting down. The only channel we had on the TV in Jamaica where we were living was uh, BBC World News, and that got tired and old. And I was full of, like, um, just beans and whatever. And I was like, man, I need a Snickers. So we looked at the bank account. We had $2.50 in our bank account. (laughs) 
I was like, oh man, do you buy a Snickers or don't you? Like, it was real. Because it was like this moment where honestly, when you're, when you're in that kind of trust, you, 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 just, you, know, you don't just have the luxury of doing what you want as you please. You have to say, do I buy a Snickers bar? I'm going to tell you, I actually did. I, I drove to 7-Eleven up the road and it was the best, man. We cut it in half. I gave, I gave my wife about a third. I had two thirds and it was a really good Snickers bar. Because it was like a moment of luxury where you had to look at what the reality was and then work that out, right? And uh, that was great. And I remember, you know, being in Jamaica one day and we'll finish up a festival and then the bang, bang, bang of the gunfire and seeing the police run in and, you know, they're shooting up a building there as they try and chase down some gunmen and all the kids ran off and we packed up this festival and drove off. And just, just a different reality is the point, right? What it looked like in a season looked different, but it looked like for that season what God was inviting us into, that's how it looked, it looked like my burden to carry it looked like that, and God was teaching me things and showing me things and helping me learn things in that moment. You know, and then moving to Canada, um, when we came here, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie, we actually didn't have anything. And that's not a pity thing, like, very wealthy here, but, like, we just didn't have anything. I had two suitcases, right? And there were some people in this church who actually, you rented your houses to us. And for that, we're really grateful and thankful. You know, there was a season where we lived in five houses in six years, when we first moved here, and we moved every year, and many of you have helped us move a million times. Kiff and Andrea are like, yeah, man. <laughs> Matt Sampson backed up a semi-trailer from John Bucher's one day, you know, just to get it done quick. Um, the point is, you know, that, but there was a challenging time, because at that moment, you know, people couldn't understand why we couldn't go and play golf with them, or go camping in the summer, because we actually, well, I didn't even have a tent. You know, like simple things that you just take for granted. I didn't have it, didn't have a tent, didn't have a golf club, so it was kind of hard, because people just didn't quite get like why you hadn't saved all your money and worked hard. It was like, man, for the last 10 years, we've been in different countries. We've got nothing. And so, you know, now we're in a different season where God has provided and blessed us with plenty. And, you know, the kingdom looks different at different times, doesn't it? And I, you know, and I think that that's a really important thing um, to understand because with life, it's really tempting, if you're honest, to say, God, when I sort this stuff out, then I'll go and serve you. Like, I, I don't know. Is that true for you? Like, if I have this ready, then I can actually go and follow you, Jesus. Like, then I can seek your kingdom when I have some of what I know to be security in place. And that security looks different for all of you, I guarantee it. You're going to have different levels of what security looks like for you. 10,000 minimum in your savings, that might be security to you. I don't know, but it's tempting. I'm not saying you do this, but it's tempting to say, God, when I have it sorted out, then I'll follow you. When sometimes Jesus is saying, just come now. Like, this is what it looks like. It reminds me of the story, actually, really quickly there, Jesus said in the Bible... And someone comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you, when, when, but just let me go and bury my father first. Jesus said, listen, follow me. Let the dead bury the dead. The whole story there is that when your father dies, you get an inheritance, which means then he'll be secure and then he'll follow Jesus. That's what he's saying to Jesus. Let me bury my father first. When my dad dies, I'm going to be in a great position, God, because then I can actually follow you. And Jesus says, let them bury their own. Let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me now. And that's what it reminds me of as I'm sharing is that invitation to follow God now. Because it's tempting to think like we have to have everything together. And Jesus shows the opposite way. He says, no, actually, seek the kingdom first. Seek the kingdom first. So we say, what is the kingdom? What does that actually mean? Can we talk about that for a minute? I'm sure you've heard about the kingdom before because if you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, you've prayed it before, haven't you? Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come. It's this beautiful prayer where Jesus says, this is how you are to pray. You're to pray the reality of this thing called the kingdom in your prayer life. 
that the kingdom would come. And he goes on to qualify and says, it's your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus teaches us to pray this reality that Jesus, the, the Father has the dominion of a kingdom and he says it's pretty simple. It's God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And the whole preoccupation of Jesus was the kingdom, particularly in the book of Mark when you read. He's preoccupied with the reality of the kingdom being here. And then he's saying, you've got to seek this thing called the kingdom first. So what is it? It's his will being done on earth. I think it's the reality that Jesus was crucified because he became, he came and called himself the temple, challenged the whole Jewish identity, was crucified on the cross because he was talking about the reality of a new kingdom. So what does it mean to seek this thing called the kingdom, his will on earth? How many of you know it doesn't mean that you have to have $2.50 in your bank every time to buy a Snickers bar? That's not what it is. For some, sometimes, maybe. But that doesn't mean that you're better in the kingdom. In fact, sometimes it doesn't mean living in financial poverty at all. You might have $2.5 million in your bank right now. Pastor Greg, go and sort them out. We need that money. (laughs) The truth is, it looks different for everyone. It doesn't always mean moving around the world. It doesn't mean living in insecurity with your finances. Sometimes it means the complete opposite, having an abundance and having lots. It doesn't matter. The question of the kingdom and the invitation to seek his will looks like that you and me are actually willing to lay it on the table and say, Jesus, it's yours, what do you want to do with it? That's the question. Doesn't matter if it's $2.50. Doesn't matter. I'm going to be, it might sound cheesy, but I remember Ash and I, we talked about if it was right to use that $2.50 for a Snickers bar. And it was. I had permission in unity with her and it felt it was the right thing to do. And it didn't kill us. It's about saying whatever you have to be a steward of it. And the question of Jesus being king of the kingdom, it's an invitation in his will to say, Jesus, you know what? I'm going to lay it on the table, every part of my life, all of it. And I'm going to ask God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with my life? So Apostle Paul writes in Philippians. He says, I've learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. How many of you know he knew that? He knew what life looked like on his journey carrying his own cross to be sitting in prison. He also knew what it meant to have an, how to abound, he says. In every circumstance, I learned the secret of facing plenty and of also of hunger, of abundance and need. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because his focus was Jesus, his focus was the kingdom, which meant as he carried his cross, there were times where he didn't have a lot. And there were times where he had an abundance. The point was he always had it on the table and say, whatever you want to do, Jesus, whatever you want to do with my life, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's what Jesus says. It's like saying to God, here we are, here it is, you're in control. And Jesus prayed in Luke 22, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus even prayed that prayer. Because the cross to carry is a painful cross sometimes. Are we, can we be honest with that? It comes at a cost to our lives to actually take our burden on. And Jesus prays the prayer, this is my cross to carry, Father. But you know what? Ultimately, it's about your kingdom. It's ultimately about your will being done. And that's what his kingdom is. His will being done on earth as it is in heaven, denying ourselves to allow him to be the king. And that requires a unique decision in our life to simply choose him 
and to order our lives around Him being the Lord of our life. How many of you know seeking the kingdom, doing His will, actually looks like ordering our life, not just parts of it, our whole life around Him being the true King? My friend Matt Garvin wrote a book called Six Radical Decisions, and he summarizes uh, an author who wrote Movements That Changed the World, and he wrote this quote, and I liked it. It sort of stuck with me. And he wrote, whenever the Christian church has been at its best, people have had a red-hot and simple faith in Jesus. They love Jesus, and they order their lives around him. It wasn't complicated. It's people ordering their life as though Jesus was king in and in their life. Whenever the church has been successful, this is what this guy writes in this Movements That Changed the World. He looks at whenever the church has been at its best and most successful, it's a group of people who just love God so much that he is the Lord of their life, the Lord of their church, the Lord of their home, the Lord of their heart, the Lord of their marriage, the Lord of their singlehood, the Lord. And they order their life around that being true. That's when the church has done the most incredible work in the world. And it's changed the world that we are actually living in the fruit of when people have ordered their life around Jesus being true. This is what it looks like because Paul says, Christ's love compels us. We are convinced that one died for all, therefore all of us have died. That it's his love that actually compels us to do this. His lordship, his leadership in our life compels us because it's not a forced thing. It's that we're motivated by this incredible love that compels us to do what Jesus wants us to do. It's a simple dance of his compelling love for us and our love for him. And it's this dance that goes on. We love Jesus, he loves us. We love Jesus, and he loves us. And in that dance that takes place, our whole life begins to get ordered around his lordship. And that's how we find our story. Paul writes in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. How many of you know Paul was motivated by that truth? That Jesus became the center of his life in lordship. What Paul's saying is, when you understand how much Jesus loves you, and you start to realize that your task is actually living for him. When you actually realize the reality of God's love for you and how it changes you, you begin to realize that your whole task is to actually live for him. And ordering your life and ordering your world around Jesus being true doesn't always look like going overseas. It actually looks like your ordinary life every day. That's why I like the message version of Romans 12. It says, here's what I want you to do. With God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around, place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's what I love about it. As we're compelled by this love, as we recognize our task to live for Jesus, what begins to happen is His kingdom comes to take bear in every ordinary, everyday ordinary life. But in order to live this way, church, I believe, and this is what's happened to happen to me, is our understanding of God must move from an intellectual head knowledge to a heart transformation. Because you can know Jesus is Lord of the world and all that sort of stuff, but what does it actually mean to allow that to change your life? And I know I've shared this story before. I'll be really quick here. But one of my heroes in our Christian 
narrative is John Wesley, not only because he had a phenomenal mum who just had an incredible prayer life and just raised those boys to love Jesus. Amazing woman. You can study her. In fact, I think we have in one of our series. But I would just touch on the fact that John Wesley grew up knowing about God. He had an amazing prayerful mum, an amazing upbringing in that sense, and he just knew that he had to live for God. So he did all the right things. He went to seminary, got his degree. He ended up going over to America. He's from England. Went there to change the world. Went there to change America. And uh, without going on to the details, basically he kind of failed. <laughs> he got very disillusioned with the task he was trying to achieve because he had all the right training and ideas and he knew about God, and he thought, I'm going to go over there and change America. And then, long story short, he's sitting on a boat dejected because he got ran out of America. He fell in love too, which always happens, right? You fall in love and you know, crazy things happen. But he hops on this boat, and they hit this crazy storm. And while he was on the boat, he heard these people praying and worshiping Jesus. And he just thought, what, what is that? What is that? What? These people are worshiping God in the midst of this crazy storm. So when he got back to England, he actually connected with them and found out it was actually, um, it was the Moravians, if you know anything about the Moravian church, it was this group of Moravians who were missional and just loved Jesus, and so we ended up going to one of their meetings one night, and this is what he says from his journal, I think I've read it here before, but I love it, it's such a good record, because it shows what happened to John Wesley. I was strongly convinced that the cause of the uneasiness was unbelief, and that the gaining of a true living faith was the one thing needed for me, but I still, but still I fixed not this faith on its right object, I meant only faith in God, not faith in or through Jesus Christ. What he's saying is he had a faith in this concept of God, but he didn't have a heart personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what he came to this shocking conclusion in his life. I've been living for God, doing stuff for God, but it's coming from a mindset. I don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what he does is he says, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans about a quarter before nine while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt, yeah, I, I did trust Christ. Christ alone for salvation and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Here's the guy who had all the right ideas but life changed for him when he encountered Jesus Christ. When Jesus went from being a knowledgeable thing in his head to encountering true faith in Jesus Christ, and everything changed for John Wesley. Everything. The church changed. Life changed. He is an important figure in our church history because he began to equip and empower lay people to preach the gospel. He changed the face of what church could look like because he moved from having a head idea of Jesus to a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Real discipleship is not about having all the right ideas and knowledge. Last week you heard Pastor Peter say that Peter knew Jesus, but until he actually acknowledged the state of who he was and had a relationship with Jesus, then he was ready for the task. He was ready to go and do what God had called him to do. It's easy to have an idea in our heads, isn't it? But seeking the kingdom and living it out means something like this. Jesus is Lord of our life, and it means his will being done, not ours. And if I'm honest, these are hard verses I know. Oh, I think it's, but Jesus says really strange, he says things like this. In Luke 6, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? I know that's hard to hear, church. That's what he says, though. It's easy to know Jesus in our head and call him Lord, but if we don't live as though he's the Lord of our life, 
ordering our life around him being the king, it's just lip service. He says, why do you call me that, Lord, Lord, and you're not even doing what I'm asking you to do? Get into your story. Start living it out. Jesus even says in Matthew, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. That's what Jesus is really concerned about. Have we made him Lord of our life or not? And for me, it's about moving from head to heart and stepping into the story of his lordship. For we proclaim not ourselves, 2 Corinthians says, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all, that for those who might live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So for us, this idea of the kingdom asks a question. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is already Lord. Did you know that? It's not inviting him to be Lord. He already is Lord. The question is, has our heart, our volition, our will actually allowed him to be Lord of our life? Colossians says that he is the head over every power and authority. How many of you know he's the Lord of a dominion? The kingdom is his dominion, the king's dominion in which he is the Lord. And he invites us into this question. Will our heart receive his lordship in our life? Galatians 5 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. When we give all aspects of our life to him, I am the way to life, he says. In me you will find your story. I believe we're in a time where we need to rediscover our story, church, as individuals walking in faith into the cross-shaped life that he's inviting us into. And it requires a unique decision to say, Jesus, are you truly Lord of my life? Or am I just saying it? Have I really stepped into an encounter with Jesus Christ in which we begin to look at our life and say, you know what? Despite my identity, my job, whatever it looks like, what I desire in this world, if I'm willing to step out and say, Jesus, are you truly Lord of my life? Have I really put it all on the table and said, Jesus, you're in charge. You're in charge of my money. You're in charge of my relationships. You're in charge of my house. You're in charge of the deeper desires. You are the king of the universe. You are also the king of my life. And I reckon, I reckon, if a few of us could get that, if a few of us could just take that step a bit more, boy, I'm going to tell you something, we might change the world. That's not just lip service. We might. We, it, we might just change this world. We might just change Morinville. We might just change Bonacord. We might just do it. It requires us, though, to make Jesus Lord of our life. Because of what Jesus did, you are now free from bondage. And you're ready for an adventure with the Holy Spirit as your guide. You have a purpose with God on this adventure in life. And it's not just to walk around life consumed by the world and its fragmented story. Ephesians 2.10 says you're his workmanship. You're unique. There's no one else like you. There's no one else created to do the things God has created you to do. It's your story in the way in which God wants to use you. God chose this moment in time and space for your existence. And our task is simply to say, okay, Jesus, here I am. Here I am. Here's my life. Here's all of me. You be in charge. And it's more than just the moment, I think, that when we first prayed the prayer to invite Jesus in. I think it's a decision that we as Christians need to keep making constantly, that Jesus is the Lord of our life every day, every moment, not just the prayer that we do, but all the time. And that's the thing. I think we rely on that one moment, but Jesus is inviting us deeper into more 
of what it means to let him be Lord. There's stuff for you to do, church. You have a story. You belong in the narrative of God's unfolding story. You belong. You have a place. Jesus loves you. The issue of hell and heaven is settled if you've received the fullness of Christ. The question now becomes, are we going to live the life Jesus has planned for us to live? That's the question. I don't know what yours is, but it's an ongoing journey right to the end. And, you know, I think that it begins here. It begins today. It begins now in your life where you're at doesn't mean you have to go to Kolkata. In fact, Mother Teresa said, stop coming to Kolkata. She said, there's Kolkata's everywhere. Find your Kolkata, she says. All these people want, thinking they're going to discover the kingdom by going to India and living in Kolkata. And she's like, well, go to your backyard. Like, there's Kolkata's everywhere. You just need to find your Kolkata. What's the, the place that Jesus is saying you go to, that you need to step into? And that's what it looks like. So don't think that today you have to leave and become a pastor. Or we go do so, you can just do it today. Now it's just a matter of saying, Jesus, you're in charge, so let's go. Holy Spirit, you're my guide. You got the guidebook. Lead me in the journey. And it's an ongoing journey right to the end. And so I'm going to conclude here. We're going to take communion, and I'm actually going to we're actually going to take a moment to pray for some people before they leave on their journey and their story. And I think why today was so fitting to have Andrea and Chad here is just again a, a glimpse of, you know, what it looks like when people are stepping out in faith to follow the story God is calling them to follow. And I know for Chad and Andrew, it's come at a big cost. It has. It's been significant, actually, uh, to step out in faith that way and trust Jesus. You know, as Pastor Matt Sampson even begins to step into the new part of his story, how many of you know that comes at a cost? It's a challenge. But it, it, the cross-shaped life isn't always easy. And I can't rescue you from that cross-shaped life. Like, we can't rescue each other but what we can do is trust God and begin to seek his kingdom first. And I think the world wants to build dreams around you. And this is the tension we live in, a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. Both are asking the question of who is going to be the king. The world and its systems and you or Jesus. And he says you cannot serve two masters. So the invitation for us today, I guess in conclusion, hopefully it's not been too heavy, but a reminder, guys, the beautiful reality that we actually are called into this unique story, this gospel story, that we need to find our place, but to do it requires us to make that decision. Is Jesus Lord of your life or is he not? And today as we take communion, I believe that's the question that should be on our heart and in humility as reflection. What does it look like to actually seek his kingdom first and get about the task of inviting people into the story and loving God and loving others? Before we do that, I really want to just take a moment though to pray for Josh and Chelsea McManus. Because can you guys come up real quick, guys? Josh and Chelsea McManus are uh, just another picture of some people who are beginning to step into their story. And Ephesians talks about, you know, the job of the pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers is to equip the saints for works of service so that we can mature together. Part of the joy of pastoring, part of the joy of being in the church leadership is to actually see people putting it on the table and saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. And it looks like sometimes going overseas and following Jesus in another country. It looks like writing music and putting it all on the table to write music. It looks like seeing what God has for you and your church leadership. It looks different for everyone. But today we want to celebrate Josh and Chelsea as they begin to step into their story. And how many of you know, it hasn't come easy, has it, guys? Like, it's been a bit of a cross-shaped life for you last couple of years. Waiting, praying, discerning, figuring out. Visas being, you know, in Mozambique's been hit by this incredible, crazy storm that has wiped out so much of the countryside and done damage and visas have been held back. I mean, it's been tough. But, you know, these guys are persevering and just saying, Jesus, it's all yours. Like, we're just going to trust you in their cross-shaped life. And so it's a joy for us to get ready to send them. 
again soon. We've done a commissioning service, but you know, these guys are, are waiting right now on one final visa document. Just a visa. Once they get the visa, they're on an aeroplane. In fact, I think they've already booked their plane saying, you know what? Stick it up, you devil. We're going to try and we're going to go. And uh, we're just buying our tickets and getting ready to roll. And uh, they're just living on that edge of faith now, just trusting that God's just preparing them for this thing. And so this may be very well the last Sunday we'll have with them. Pastor Greg, did you want to say some words as we pray with them? Beautiful. So guys, this is Josh and Chelsea, and they're heading over to Mozambique. And to, to us as a church body, it's just nothing more exciting than seeing people step into their story and put it on the line for the kingdom. And so we send them with blessing, with joy. And because this may be their last Sunday with us, we just wanted to take a moment before we take communion just to pray for you guys. Is that all right? And uh, can we do that right now, Pastor Greg? We're going to pray. I'm going to pray. Beautiful. Would you just uh, close your eyes as we pray for these guys as they step into their story and uh, you know, their, their reward is our reward as they go in faith. So God, we thank you so much for... Josh and Chelsea McManus, and we know, Lord, there's been probably a lot of tears and a lot of prayers, and, uh, you know, it doesn't always look easy. Lord Jesus, when you cried out in that garden, you said, oh, Jesus, Father, this is hard. Take it away, but you know what? It's, it's about you anyway, so whatever you will. And, and Jesus, that's the same kind of prayer that we can identify with. Thank you for praying that, because we know that the cross-shaped life doesn't always look, you know, like maximizing pleasure. It looks like, you know, trust in you. And God, right now, they're trusting you. Lord, they're trusting you for this visa and knowing that, God, you are good. And, and Father, you're so faithful that even as this storm hit, we thank you that Josh and Chelsea weren't there in danger. God, that you protected them away from that. We're so grateful. You always have a better plan. Your ways are higher than our ways. So we trust you, Father. We thank you that, God, these guys can inspire us as they step out in faith to live their part of the story that you've called them into. It inspires us to say, yeah, what's our part? What's our part to play? And so, God, we bless them. We commission them again. And we say, Holy Spirit, just be their travel guide. Lead them, guide them, comfort them, uh, challenge them, call them out into deeper waters. Fill them with faith, we pray. I pray they'll hear your still calm voice reminding them of who they are in Christ and that they no longer live for themselves but for Christ. So, God, their life is a, a reflection of who you are and your faithfulness and your goodness. That everything that reflects of them will reflect the fullness of just the wonderful reality of a heavenly father who is calling them to go against the world's story. That looks just like God. It looks almost crazy a little bit, but that's so inspiring. It's so awesome. We bless them in the name of Jesus. We ask God that you will do a work and you'll do what you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can imagine. And I pray that as Kathy shared with us today, hurry, 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 worry, worry, worry. Remove that from their hearts. Help them to have the fullness of peace. Because that's actually what you bring. You speak peace, you bring peace, and you are the prince of peace. So we pray peace over their life and their hearts now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's give them a round of applause too. Thanks, guys. I don't know if there's someone just willing to come up and play keys as we just prepare to um, just take communion. We're, gonna, we're just going to finish off our service today, church, as we uh, take communion. But I encourage you this week is really just to... I guess just to invite you to make Jesus Lord of your life again. Can we do that right now? Just close your eyes. Just pray. Um, and I don't know, I'm not just asking you to say a quick little prayer and whatever, but like if there's something resonating in your heart where you're able to at least acknowledge that, you know, is Jesus Lord of your life? That's the question we're asking today. What does it actually mean to seek the kingdom of God first? And how does that shape who you are? And what does that change in your heart today? And for me, the question has just come down to, is Jesus Lord of your life? Jesus being Lord of the life is really just saying Jesus is already Lord of a kingdom. I'm just going to acknowledge that and let him be the king. (laughs) 
I'm going to tell you something, guys. When you actually do that, it's actually kind of nice because you relinquish control and uh, you begin to just trust God. And you know, those moments where you are, thank God, where's my money going to come from? It's crazy. It is. The world wants you to say, no, you need to be secure in this system. And, and Jesus is saying, you know what? Now seek me first and I'll bring the stuff you need. It, it's, a, it's a little shift in thinking and it's tough. It's hard. But you know, maybe, maybe there's just, I don't know, this is a way in which we can just get you to say, Jesus, like, I'm willing to just let you be the king of my life. You already are the king. Just be king of my life. And for some of you today, you've never even made that decision first and foremost. This is brand new to you. So I want to ask you, if that's you, if you just want to step out in faith and say, I believe that God is going to make me a masterpiece to do what he's called me to do. For he is the author of life. I'm going to learn to trust him and put my faith in him.